Buongiorno tutti. Welcome to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. My name is Kimberly Holcomb. And I'm Tommaso. Ciao, Tommaso. Ciao, Belladonna. Grazie. All right, we are back to the second Kitten Club road trip episodes. But as you might have noticed, we had to interrupt them with two episodes we did from a visit with Paolo, a Tuscan chef that came to our little state of Rhode Island and prepared a dinner for 12, and it was delicioso. Yes, my taste buds are still in mourning. <laughs> that he's gone. Yes. <laughs> anyway, you can listen to those two previous episodes. One of them is an interview with Paolo himself and his very interesting life. So we had to interject those two while they were fresh on our mind and we remembered all the tasty details. But now we're back where we left you standing outside the Coliseum. And that was episode, what, 39? Episode 39, yes. So go there if you want to pick up. So we were outside the Coliseum trying to buy a ticket to get in. It was just Tommaso and myself. And all of a sudden, who pops up but our four friends we were traveling with? Livia, Ninetta, Bruce, and Elena. So, as we mentioned, Elena said, well, let me take you to one of the most incredible buildings in all of Rome. An architectural gem, wasn't it, Tommaso? It was, it was. And, you know, it's not on the greatest hits list. You're not Which, good, which w- is a good thing. Which is a good thing. It probably is with every single student of architecture and geology and, you know. Yes, well, the other thing is it's got such a fantastic story. Well, let's tell you the name, first of all. (laughs) Go ahead. Basilica di San Clemente. It's about a 10-minute walk from the Colosseum, and you enter, well, we entered through a side door. There is another entrance that's a little more um, ornate and attractive. We went through the back or the side door, and it was this plain brick exterior. There was no facade on it, as they used to do with the marble facade, So just this ancient Roman brick exterior, and it looked pretty, you know. Yeah. (laughs) But it did. Well. It it, it looked like, okay. I mean, it was another church, and here I am going in with church lady again. Yes, 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 yes. I've been in so many church churches with you, darling. I think the next time I'm going to go in, they're going to ordain me a priest. Oh, my God. I love them for the architectural know, and artistic. I, I, I know you do. I anyway, you do. so carrying on, we went into the back exit and entered an interior courtyard, this kind of square interior courtyard that just blew me away. It was so simple and humble, really. Yeah, it was all colonnaded on the side. It was beautiful. It was a nice place to sit and, well, it, it and had, rest, which I did. <laughs> It had this pale yellow, yellowish facade with arches on the front of it, held up with ionic columns. And for those of you that remember the three types of Greek columns, ionic, Doric, and Corinthian. And ionic is the scroll shape, and it's always my favorite. So whenever I see an ionic column, I know I'm going to like it. This square courtyard was very uh, non-fancy, for lack of a better adjective. It had stone flooring that was just kind of scattered, old, but, you know, just wasn't ornate in any way. And a few palm trees inside this, like, not trees really, bushes, palm plants, large ones, but without the trunk. 
And so that kind of threw me. But when you combined these arched colonnades and these palms and the pale yellow color, it was very Moorish feeling to me. Through this kind of simple, humble exterior, you walk into the basilica and the first thing my eye went to was the marble floor. And I, you know, not only a fan of churches, but mosaic tile floors. And this one was like to die for. (laughs) This one was right up there in my book. It was so intricate with all these different designs. And for those of you that really, truly admire mosaic tiling, which is an art in and of itself, there were famous Italian tilers all over the world. And the difference with this floor of Basilica San Clemente is that these designs were intricate and small, like three inches, four inches by four inches, teeny. Like if you walk into the Duomo Milano, an amazing floor, but really large graphic and, you know, at least 12 inches, 16 inch pieces of tile to make up the design. These were teeny and squirrels and circles and waves. And they were all in this like black and gray and different shades of gray, some ochre, red, dark green. And it was mesmerizing. Really, really well done. That's right. Good contractors showing up to do good work. Um, Yeah. (laughs) People today could take some lessons from those people. True, But I will say they were as respected as a sculptor, basically. Sure, sure. And we had some good guys do our oh yeah bathroom tile here. But anyway, I get your point. But I must have taken at least 50 photos of the floor before I even looked up to the rest of the church. And I won't go into huge detail, but let's just say this. It was built in about the 12th century. Yet, you know, a couple hundred years later, a Rococo ceiling was added. One of the naves off to the side chapels off to the side, I should say, has very important frescoes. The main apse is all gold gilt. I mean, it's stunning, busy, beautiful compared to that plain exterior. So anyway, we're all looking around. I was mesmerized by the floor, but everyone else was looking around and we were there primarily to see this architectural wonder of the various levels underneath the main floor of the basilica. So we decided we would do that after we cruised around, we'll buy the tickets. But let me just share the comical way in which we had to actually purchase the ticket. Prepare yourself if you're over 30. (laughs) Normally, uh, yeah, maybe a 19-year-old could do this in a snap, but... There was a sign, half in you know, one half in Italian, one half in English or Dutch or uh, sorry, German or something, and there was a QR code, and there was also a brochure with a QR code. So you take your phone out, you scan it, the QR code, it leads you to the website of the basilica where we're standing, and with that, you had to fill out your name, your age. I mean, it was pretty specific, but. It wasn't going that quickly. And so the next thing you know, I see Livia and all the friends we were with getting out their glasses so they could read better. (laughs) And then eventually everyone was seated in the church pews of this amazing church. Because it took so much time. Right. But their faces are in their phone and they're adding all this information. And 
I kept looking past them thinking the whole thing was ironic. It was funny. They're not sitting in a church service. They're just trying to buy a ticket for the place right over to the right. And behind this glass partition, I saw a man working there. And I just kept thinking, why couldn't we just like, you know, buy the ticket from him? So we were all finally successful, but we had to wait a few minutes because they only allowed a certain amount of people to enter the lower floors, like in increments of 15 minutes or so. And not just because of COVID, but also due to the limit of visitors at a time. Nor could you take any photos. That was written everywhere, which I totally understand, but that was a shame because it was something to see. And by the way, the man behind the glass partition, as we walked up to enter, he called out each person's name, which he printed from his computer once the purchases came in. He printed it out. And then he called our name. We had to show him our passport or something to prove that we had it or show him our QR code, you know, application. And then he did a check mark one by one. The whole procedure took like a ridiculous amount of time. And I just kept thinking, you know, we could have just given you our 15 euro each in cash and been downstairs already. <laughs> I'm so happy he didn't try and call out my last name. Right. <laughs> Anyway, so it was just comical, but then we went down the stairs and I will say Tommaso is not a huge fan of claustrophobia, but in this case, I don't, I didn't think it bothered you. Did it? When it got down to the bottom, it was a little bit, I was, a, I, I went through with pace, let's say. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't lingering in any corners. Okay. Well, it's not like climbing up the top of a uh, cathedral dome. No. You know, no. Not, not like that. These no. are large rooms, but narrow staircases and completely dark. Completely dark. And it's, it's, this really ties in quite nicely with the often stated comment that only 10% of Rome is excavated. And imagine what lies beneath the rest after we looked at this. We'll go into it. But imagine what lies beneath the rest of Rome. 10%, only 10%. Only 10%. Because, and that's why there's no infrastructure done in Rome and like, extending the subway. Because every time they pick up a teaspoon and move some earth, <laughs> they've got something else another there. Another Roman ruin. Another Roman ruin. Well, I, we've mentioned that before, but let's give a little background of this. Um, these two lower floors. So in Eight, even though the basilica was built around the 12th century, in 1857, a Dominican friar began some renovations and they found a hole or they made a hole in the wall. It kind of collapsed. That hole is still there today. They have it exposed the way that it was in 1857. And legend has it that the friar himself... Friar, well, just a little bit about this friar who's from Ireland, Friar Maloney. No. Oh. <laughs> right, so he wasn't. Uh, he went to Rome to become a priest. Okay, and his name was Maloney, Joseph Maloney, and uh, he was the man that went through the started the process of renovating and broke through the wall. Okay, and he himself, legend has it, legend has it, dropped himself down with some kind of torch, and what did he find below? But another church, another basilica from the fourth century. He was probably looking to make a pub down there or something. <laughs> Father Maloney, 
Loved his beer. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so yet another basilica from the 4th century was below. And the excavations revealed early frescoes, a pagan sarcophagus carved previously in the 2nd or 3rd century, tombs, you name it. It was so cool to be down there one floor below the floor of the basilica from the 12th century. And we thought, oh, how much cooler can this get? It did. It did. And I think the summary of that mid-floor was all of us stood there thinking, we're standing on the original stone floor from the 4th century. And we thought, what could possibly be like more ancient than that to us personal experience wise right well one floor down it gets it gets even darker and deeper right and older yes so i will say that that staircase down to that bottom floor was a little it was a little funky little narrow yep. dark and they have some kind of air filtration system going on but it was still you could tell you were going into the bowels of the earth yes. right and i was pacing go, going forward fast Anyway, so you descend even deeper into what had been the home of a nobleman from somewhere between 100 and 200 AD. So meanwhile, 30 seconds earlier, we were on a fourth century floor, and now we were on a first century floor of a nobleman's house. I understand they created chapels and a small basilica in that nobleman's house because the Christians were being persecuted around that time. Well, actually, this nobleman at one point decided to dedicate part of that house to a Mithraic temple. And Mithras was an obscure Christ-like god, and his followers formed this exclusive cult. So they would go there through his home and have their little, you know, rituals. And in the center of that room now is a replica of a carving of Mithras slaying a dragon or some monster, but currently it's just a a replica. It didn't matter to us that it was a replica because we were standing in a room three levels below what is Rome now thinking these people worshiped here in maybe 150 AD and we're standing on it. Well, that whole part of the of the underside that had been filled in after the great fire in 64 AD and it had been filled in and built upon there's still probably something below this as they filled in a warehouse because that's what this was originally in the before bottom. the nobleman's house before the nobleman's okay. house they filled it in and but the great fire in 64 AD when a Nero fiddled or something but that's when the last great fire of Rome was It's so awesome they have all this history. But like you said, current day Rome is at least three levels higher than what it was. Right. People just built on top of erosion and and building and filled filled in. in. And so just think of the multi-layers in that city. Just incredible. Because when you build something for a foundation, you know, you were moving it with horse or oxen. Mm -hmm. You didn't want to move all that dirt far. So just build on top. So you build on top. Anyway, we highly recommend going to Basilica San Clemente, whether you're a history buff, architect, archaeological buff, whatever. 
just go. I'd like to just have one more minute to fill out Father Maloney here. (laughs) Father Maloney said Mass on June 20th in 1880. And right after he said Mass, he collapsed. And died? And died. Well, five days later, they put him in his room and he died. And his remains were buried somewhere else. And then in 1912, someone thought that, hey, he's the guy that really found this place. Awesome. And they brought him back. And he's buried under the high altar in the upper basilica. Well, that is a happy ending. Yeah. He deserves it. So instead of wine in the chalice, they probably have some Guinness or something. (laughs) Anyway, so when we all left there... Livia, Ninetta, Bruce, and Elena decided to take a taxi to go meet some of their friends that live in Rome for an aperitivo somewhere. And Tommaso and I decided to walk to the Augustus Forum and see if Casa Augustus, Rome's first emperor's house, was open. But we got there as as it was getting dark, so the whole forum itself was closed, sadly. But that didn't matter, so we walked up by the massive, monumental, and imposing building called the Mole del Vittoriano. And this is the famous building dedicated to Vittorio Emanuele in between Capitoline Hill and Piazza Venezia. It was built to honor Vittorio Emanuele, the first king of unified Italy. And there's piazzas all over Italy buildings like the Galleria Vittorio Emanuele. Every single major city in all of Italy has something for Vittorio Emanuele. But in this case, this building was the first built to honor him. And they started it in the late 1800s, and it grew over the years, not just in mass and size, but in its grandiosity. They added on to the original design by Giuseppe Sacconi, which included this massive large staircase leading to the propylea, as they say, the equivalent of the grand entrance to the in the old days to the temple, but in this case to the building itself. And it continued to be modified, including by one of my favorite names in all of Italian history, Manfredo Manfredi. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the best name? He was an architect, and he added on to the monumental size of this building. And it became so enormous and somewhat, I don't think busy, but they thought it was a little over the top. So the Italians gave it the rather um, unflattering nickname. That's odd for Italians to think it was over the top, considering the amount of architecture that's there. Well, because around it was... The Colosseum, the Forum, everything of this like sandstone color and age and, you know, erosion. And boom, they build this massive, bright white. Yes, still is. Most white. I don't know if it's travertine marble or not, but it just didn't fit with its environment is supposedly the reason they came up with the nickname. Excuse me. La Macchina di Scrivere, which means typewriter. Because if you think about it, those big stairs in the center and those two outlying masses. Oh, yes. And then on top are the bronze quadrigos, as they're called, the men riding the chariots. So it's so heavy and big and new and bright in the day. So it was the typewriter. Okay. But I just want to say... 
my favorite part about those sculptures are the, the chariot riders, the men riding the chariots, I should say. They are the allegories for the unity of the fatherland, Italy, and liberty. So that is why they're so large. They were celebrating this unified country. And finally, the sculpture of Vittorio Emanuele himself, the equestrian sculpture right out front. I took about a thousand pictures of you under it or (laughs) with it in the background. That was made from 50 tons of bronze melted from the Italian army's guns. That's a cool little tidbit. When was that made? And 50 years after unification. So maybe 19, 10, 19, 12, early. I don't know the exact date, but apparently it's so large because they wanted it to be as, you know, imposing as the rest of the building. It's so large that before they finished it, they have photos of black and white photos of 20 men in the belly of the horse. That's how large that sculpture is. Wow. It's very cool. That's amazing. So when you go walking by this massive, beautiful, imposing Mole di Vittoriano, think about that equestrian sculpture that's so large, 20 Italians. I think they sat in there and had an aperitivo before they tied it all up. They probably got little graffiti in the middle that says... (laughs) Stefano Eroqua. (laughs) Stephen was here. Allora. I'm trying to to not say so. So Uh, anyway. Allora. Allora. We left there, and it was such a beautiful evening, but there were a lot of people out, including a demonstration, a very large demonstration by students, and we could never really figure out what it was about. Did we? No. They were demonstrating something. They were pleasant and just... Marching just, along, right, just chanting. Loud. And they had uh, those, um, what do you call them? Um, a little bullhorn. Bullhorns and lots of noise. And then there were police escorts. So it was organized. Organized. And then and there orderly. Was orderly. And then there was traffic at the circle of Piazza Venezia. And it was just like crazy. Rome at its best. Yes. <laughs> Roman mayhem, which is like exhilarating. I took video of you and it really didn't do it justice no. because I remember it being really loud and thinking, this is so fun. And the sun was setting and the building, the Vittoriano was all lit. And so was the Colosseum and the Forum, everything. We have have to go back because we had an iPhone 8 at the time and that was the problem. Well, I had dropped and broke my real camera. There's that story. Now that we have a 13, we can go back and we can get all the detail. Okay. Good reason to go back. (laughs) Well... There, we don't need a good reason. Not We just want to be back. <laughs> Tom's been looking at real estate in Rome, just saying, ah, that's an aside. <laughs> anyway, so after we finally walked away from the beautiful mayhem around Piazza Venezia, I thought maybe we should go to the court, that new, um, well, new-ish, um, elevated um, terrace in between these two hotels closer to the Colosseum where they have just a stunning view to go have a aperitivo, a cocktail, an incredible view because like I've mentioned, everything is lit so well at night and I had read about it and it's in my book and I thought, let's go have an aperitivo. And then I was like, oh, right. It's so popular. 
that you have to reserve a table. And you can only get in there if you have 75,000 or more followers on Instagram. Oh. <laughs> it's a lot of influencers are up there taking pictures. So all of you, if you don't follow Kimberly on Instagram, please follow so we can get in the next time. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, anyway, we passed on that and we decided to just take another route home, just meander, wind our way, get lost, didn't matter. It was lovely. And we had walked so many miles that day. What's another like mile? Who cares? Who cares? Back to our palazzo. So we did. We got in and we're like, ah, oh, just sitting in the, the living area, la sala, the living area. And all of a sudden the door opens and it's Rosanna and Chiara and they... <laughs> They just came in and got horizontal on the other two couches. They're like, what a day. We went everywhere. They saw everything. They had the best time. I think this, but you've got to understand that this kitten club too put on enough miles. It was more like horseback than kittens. I mean, you, you we did some walking. <laughs> that's, well, that's what you do in Rome for it's sure. All over. Well, we did in Matera as well, but Matera is confined. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to walk around Matera 30 times to equal what we did one north to south route in Rome. We walked a lot. We did. Anyway, so we just laid there sharing stories of what we all saw that day. And then one of us said dinner. And I had thought about going to this place closer to the Pantheon, which is maybe a 15 minute walk if you don't get lost, but it's so easy to get lost. And everyone looked at me with just like a non plus <laughs> expression. <laughs> So I said, or there's that lovely place directly across the street from the front door of our palazzo. And it's attached to this organic store that we went in all the time. It had wine and cheeses and bread and granola, whatever you wanted was there. And they had this really beautiful restaurant attached. It was very garden-like, you know, you felt like a like you were in, in an outdoor garden, but it was inside. It was it was, very, it was very hip. And yes. All the graphics were beautiful. Yes. Very sleek. Yep. However, um, it was that night. It was kind of a, a younger crowd, I will say. Like young hipsters. And when we walked in, we were seated at a nice table. But the waiter we got maybe just wasn't in the mood for non-young hipsters. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he you, was not as friendly as what we had been used to. Right. And then on top of that, but we didn't care. We had an Aperol spritz. Somebody had some wine. It was fine. Tommaso and I ordered a pizza because we actually hadn't had one yet. And it was um, mm. it was a little too um, earthy, organic, crunchy for our taste. Yeah, it was mediocre. But again, it didn't matter. We had a lovely time and I it was- I still finished it. <laughs> you did? Yes. <laughs> it was just an easy dinner and- happy company. So it didn't matter. However, that didn't stop us from going back to Rosanna's favorite gelateria two blocks down. And with that, everyone carried their gelateria and walked back to the Spanish steps up to the top because why not take in that view at night, fresh air, no crowds, walk back down, walk back to our palazzo up the three flights Sat in the in the uh, sala, the living area again, and about five minutes later, the other four came in. So we all then exchanged stories of our dinner and of our day, and 
I thought, oh, someone's going to get out a bottle of wine, but no, shocker. (laughs) (laughs) We were all happily tired and decided to call it a night. Mm -hmm. And that was that. Um, And then we had two full days ahead of us, but I think we should stop now. But before we sign off, we want to thank Danny from California. He left us a very nice review on Apple Podcasts. And to be honest, he got in touch with me through my website. And he is going to be in Tuscany next week. And he is hiring Paolo, the Tuscan chef that was here. So all comes around. Now, Danny and I are emailing back and forth, you know, every other day. We're like besties now. Oh, he wants to retire and become (laughs) part of Kimberly's Italy. He asked if he could, he wants to retire in about seven years and asked if he could send in an application then. (laughs) It's like, certo. (laughs) Anyway, please do exactly what Danny from California did and reach out via email or Instagram, however, and get in touch with me if you'd like to plan your trip. And it's a good idea to start early. And that's all I have to say. Yeah, you've had some people come in lately and there aren't as many rooms available, aren't as many properties. Things are booking up. I will say it's been much more difficult to find some availability in certain areas, but it's not to tell you not to try because I have such a vast database of really unique places. So that's it, Amici. We'll be back with the next one or two episodes of the end of Kitten Club. And after that, we have a whole plethora of new places and stories to share. Va bene? Okay. Grazie mille. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.